0: Well, I don't know about the rest of you, but I am incredibly excited that it is the fall. Any, no? Okay. Well, I, I think there's a couple. Okay. Good. Good. But uh, good to see you girls. Good, great, great. Oh, dads. I get nervous when I see young girls and know they're growing up. It makes me nervous, right? So uh, a couple of things that I want to say here at the beginning. Um, first, or actually, just one thing, which is that um, earlier... Uh, four or five weeks ago when we started this Jesus Storybook Bible, I mentioned to you that that sometimes these um, wouldn't align perfectly in terms of the storybook and the story that we're going to talk about. Usually it will, but but some of these stories are kind of lengthy and there are certain parts of Abram's life, Abraham's life, we'll talk about it this week and next week that you can't really talk about all of it, obviously. But uh, we decided rather than talking about this specific story, we're going to go to the very beginning, to God's first conversation with Abram, um, then becoming Abraham later on. And so I just wanted to kind of let you know that as we read here. We're going to read the whole of chapter 12, verses 1 through 20. And so I invite you now to open up your ears and your hearts um, to this passage. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great Nation And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took his wife Sarah and his brother's son Lot and all the possessions that they had gathered and the persons whom they had acquired in Haran and they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. And When they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord said to Abram and said, Lord, appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and invoked the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on by stages towards the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to reside there as an alien, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarah, I know well that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared on your account. And when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. When the officials of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female slaves, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and be gone. And Pharaoh gave his men orders concerning him, and they set him on the way with his wife and all that he had. Brothers and sisters in Christ, This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather around and to hear your word. We thank you for opportunities we have to gather together as sisters and brothers in Christ and worship you. God, I pray that you would be with us in this time, that the words of my mouth And the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So I've been a a dad now for um, a little over five years, and one of the things that I never really thought about before I became a father, uh, but I certainly have learned since then, is how much people love to try and figure out and tell you who they think your children looks like. Right? And so, and so they love to come up and say, oh, wow, you know what? Shaughnessy looks just like you. Or, 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 or thank, usually they say, oh, thank God, Shaughnessy does not look like you. Right? People think that that's, that that's funny. Right? And so, um, so, but one of the things that's interesting to me is really how poor people are at it. I mean, and it's just it's fascinating how different people view things, right? So, so literally, time and time again, I have had someone come up to me and say, you know, Shaughnessy looks just like you. And then two minutes later, someone will come up and say, Shaughnessy looks just like Megan, right? And, and whether it be Shaughnessy or Adelie or Winnie, again and again and again, I've seen that happen. And the only thing that surprises me at this point is that no one has yet come up to me and said, you know, That baby that is inside Megan's stomach, she looks just like you, right? I mean, at some point, they surely will. It's just kind of random. But I've got to be honest with you that when people say that to me, when people say, you know what, Shaughnessy or Adley or Winnie look like you, there's a certain part of me that kind of likes it. Right now, it's a little bit weird because I'm a guy and they're all girls and I don't really know how much I want them to look like me. But, but I love just the fact that there's something in my DNA that's kind of being passed on, that there's something rubbing off on them, that, that they resemble me in some way. I, I, kind, of, I kind of enjoy that. And, and I was thinking about that this week. Um, especially because of uh, the the text of which we are uh, reading today, and when we're thinking about Abraham. And one of the first songs I learned in Sunday school when I was a kid was the song, Father Abraham. How many of you know that song? Okay. Father Abraham had many sons. Okay, no more. All right, that's great. So many of you, it seems, know it, right? And there's all these kind of arm motions, and then you turn around, sit down. It's a great song. and But the reason that we, we come up with that song... Uh I see some of the high schoolers are continuing in doing this and actually doing the motions over here. The reason why we like Father Abraham or the reason why we call him Father Abraham is because in Romans, uh, Paul talks about the fact that for all those who believe in the Lord, that they are children of Abraham. And so we are sons and daughters of Abraham. And so one of the questions this week and next week as we look at Abram slash Abraham is, how much do we resemble our father Abraham? Abraham, And how much do we really look like him? And, of course, it's important for us to know then, well, what did Abraham look like, right? And one of the things we discover quickly about Abraham and his spiritual journey and what he looked like is the fact that he obeyed God's commands quite quickly. It's this kind of interesting scene where God kind of comes in, and God's so blunt, right? He, there's none of these kind of uh, uh, general niceties at the beginning, right? There's no kind of like, you know, hey, Abraham, how are you? Or, or you know, nice sheep, or, or don't you love the weather? There's none of that, right? What does Abram say? Well, depending on the version, he says one of two things, either go or leave, right? Leave your country Leave your kindred's house. Leave your family. Leave your father's household. In other words, leave everything you know and everything that brings you comfort and security and safety. Leave everything. And not only that, but he doesn't even tell him exactly where he is to go. He just says, go. And furthermore... Abram is 75 years old, right? He has had his AARP card for 25 years by now. This is not usually the time when people are leaving. It is the time when they have settled and they say, we're going to stay close to our family and to everything that makes us feel safe and secure. But Abram simply leaves. Now, if you were here last Sunday... And you should be reminded, of course, that this is in marked contrast to what we talked about last week. That was the story of the Tower of Babel, a group of people who said, you know what? Let's not leave. Let's not go. Let's not scatter. Let's stay here. Let's make something cozy and comfortable. We'll build us a tower. We'll build us a city. We can just hang out with people we know and we like and everything will be perfect. And of course there, God came down and immediately scattered them, right? Well, here God comes down again to Abram and he says, you need to go. You need to leave. And Abram follows. But this isn't just about leaving. Because Abram, our God also tells Abram a couple of other things. First, he says, you are going to be blessed. If you leave the comforts of your home and what you know and follow me into the unknown future where you do not know where you will go or who you will encounter, if you do that, you will experience things and learn things and be blessed in ways you never would have had you decided to simply stay safe. But, not only would he be blessed, but that he would then go out and be a blessing. That the plan was not simply, I am going to bless you, but then you can go out and be a blessing. And that's, of course, a phrase that we're all very familiar with, at least most of us. Blessed to be a Right? Now, that sounds great. It rolls off the tongue, but it's important for us to kind of think about this in context. And so, so one of my old seminary professors said, when it comes to this particular story, that this is really God saying, I am not going to give up. I am not going to let go of creation, which reminds us of the story that we talked about five weeks ago or so now, the story of creation. And what did we discover in creation? That it's God's way of saying that he wants us, loves us, right? That God loves us. And so God prepared this world, much like a parent prepares a nursery, in order to say, I love and care for you. But of course, humanity struggled with that. They struggle with believing and accepting and trusting in that. And so they decide to go their own way, to trust in themselves rather than in God, right? So you have the fall, you've got the punishment of God and Noah and the ark, right? You've got quickly, maybe people remedy themselves, but before you know it, they're holding up in another tower again. And so what's happening here is more than just Blessed to be a blessing is more than just kind of simply, if you have a lot, you should give people things. It's more than just kind of being a charity. It's more than being goodwill, that when you say we are blessed to be a blessing, what you are saying is that God has said to Abram, I am going to start with you, as small as you may feel, this one person in the Middle East, and from you, I am going to bless the whole world. This story is saying you, and that now means all of us who are children of Abraham, have an opportunity to be a part of the kingdom of God, the plan of God. When you give to others because of God, you are not simply giving them a clo- giving them a shirt so that they can have a sh- so they can have something to wear. You are telling them that they are loved by God. Blessed to be a blessing is more than just a stewardship slogan. It is an opportunity to partner with God in God's kingdom. And too often, as I said last week, we in the church are co-opted. And sometimes we are—we well, think that we're town councils or we're real estate agencies. And I'm here to tell you this morning, we're also not simply a charity organization. We are a people on the move for God who have, call, who have been called to be a part of God's kingdom. And there are lots of ways that we do this. Some of the ways, of course, is we give money to missionaries, right, who go around and they, are, they share the love of God's kingdom throughout the world. Others, of course, last week we told you that we were going to give money to the uh, Presbyterian Church in Iraq so that they could take care of all the refugees, those who have been forced out of their home, away from their families, and they could provide them with food and drink and a shelter, Another thing that we do throughout the week is we have Noah's Ark, right, which is a daycare uh, that we have here. And we aren't just doing it because of the fact that we said, you know what, there's not enough daycares around. We We should have a daycare. No, we are doing it so that we can share the love of Christ with children and with parents and let them know that they are a part of God's kingdom, to let them know what God's kingdom is all about. And there's another program that we kind of have partnered with for several years now called Wheeler Mission. And some of you may be familiar with Wheeler Mission, but others of you may not be. And so I have asked, um, Eric Gardner is here with us this week. Eric, if you want to come up. And Eric is going to come up, and he is going to share with us. He's a director at World, at World, at Wheeler Mission. Uh, and, and I said to the, the previous group, if you can tell, that Eric and I, we work out at the same, at the same place. Anyone else kind of? Right? trainer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you. That's well said. We'll, we'll up how much we give Wheeler Mission this year. Yeah, that's great. No, but Eric's going to come and tell us a little bit more about Wheeler Mission and about what it means for them to, uh, uh, to be blessed in order to be a blessing. Thanks,
1: Absolutely. You. Thank you. Morning. I'm so grateful to be here with you all this morning and just to share about what God's doing downtown Indianapolis through the Wheeler Mission um, just tell you a little bit about some of the programs and services that we offer, the homeless, uh, men, women, and children in downtown India- Indianapolis and in central Indiana. Um, but first, give you a little bit of a history sto- um, lesson uh, on Wheeler. Many of you know, know about Wheeler. You've, you might be able to drive downtown and see our neon sign or kind of have some of our imagery in mind or think every Thanksgiving, Hey, those people are feeding the needy. Um, be great to volunteer there. And then some of you have been volunteers yourselves, and I thank you for that. But Wheeler has been downtown since 1893, 121 years. So, I mean, that's a big deal, right? God's been doing some big things downtown Indianapolis through our organization for, you know, pretty much the, since the formation of the city, or, you know, as it was really rolling out to what it is now. Um, but kind of taking the A page from the story of Abram, or Abraham, I'm sure that the people, the three women who started the Wheeler Mission, who decided that they were going to open up a couple of apartments to prostitutes in the downtown area, alcohol-addicted prostitutes. That's how our ministry started. Talk about taking a risk. Talk about opening up a place for people that are going to make you a little bit uncomfortable, maybe take advantage of you. Maybe uh, things aren't going to work out the way that you thought they would. But I'll tell you what, those ladies definitely were blessed. They were, they were from uh, affluent families. Um, one of those ladies' husband owned uh, a number of hardware stores downtown Indianapolis. His name was William Wheeler. And Mr. Wheeler, being a businessman, understanding how to form things and organize them to make them sustainable, formed the Wheeler Mission in 1893. And quickly that became much more than a house for wayward women it became a place where uh, homeless children and homeless and addicted men would be housed, fed, and most importantly, communicated the gospel of Jesus Christ, given the hope of God's word to transform their lives from the inside out and never make them the same. And Wheeler's been doing that, again, for the uh, better part of uh, this century and, and part of the last. So the cool thing is, is like Abram, I'm sure when God burdened or called these women to this ministry, they thought, man, I don't know about that, one. And two, why us? Or that's going to cost us a lot. And really, what good are we going to do? This might just be a drop in the bucket. We've got these two apartments. We can take six to nine women. How's that going to help? But they did it anyway. They went when they were called. They, they, they did what the Lord called them to do. And, and I personally... I'm so grateful for that. One, because I'm the director of the facility and, and I used to be a counselor there. I have had and, and still do have a front row seat to watch God change lives. And if you've ever seen that, like I'm sure many of you have, to watch a person who's in darkness and blind to be given sight and to come into the light of, of Christ's love and to just watch their world completely flip upside down, that is one of the most awesome things to experience I mean, it's no clearer picture of God than that. But I'm also personally very, very grateful because I am the director of two facilities at Wheeler Mission, uh, all the men's programs in Indianapolis and the men's shelter. Uh, But before that, I was actually a guest there. Um, Nine years ago, I was a heroin addict. I was a felon on my way to prison for the next five years. wasn't welcome in my family's homes. Was a drug dealer, a drug addict, and just not a very good dude altogether. And uh, Wheeler Mission took me in when no one else would. The only people that wanted, wanted me to see me around was the Department of Corrections. And Wheeler Mission opened their doors and taught me about the truth about myself and God's word. And it changed my life forever. And when you think of a homeless person, I'm, I'm sure you're thinking of the guy who's panhandling downtown with a long white beard or tattered clothes or uh, you know, someone who looks like they haven't showered in a while or somebody holding up a, ha- a sign. And, and I'll tell you, the guy standing before you was a 22-year-old kid from the suburbs, sticking a needle in his arm every time he got a chance, came from a privileged home. My dad was a high school principal, my mom was an elementary school teacher, and I ended up in the same dorm as the guy who didn't know his mom and dad came from generational poverty. And that's still very typical downtown Wheeler. People from Zionsville, maybe even people from this church, end up in homelessness. It does not discriminate. So the cool thing is, is those ladies who started Wheeler Mission 121 years ago never knew that Eric Gardner's life would be transformed eternally, that I would get to spend eternity with Christ because of the the work that they started so many years ago. And Abraham, I'm sure, is the same way. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure more, more kids than the stars in the sky. Um, and just want to challenge and, and admonish and encourage you all that when you do have these opportunities, when God calls you to something for you to answer, because there's no telling the lives that can be changed, the, the work, the kingdom work that can be done because of, uh, because of you answering the Lord's calling. So I thank you so much, I pray for all of you, and and just ask that you'd pray for us downtown in Wheeler. As as the weather gets cold as it is outside, we really start to ramp up and get busy. Um, Our numbers triple um, in the way that we house and and we shelter people. Um, This year we're we're already on pace to easily blow through over 300,000 meals. this year, I've already seen, just in the men's shelter alone, not, not including our women's and our children's shelters, I've seen over 2,000 unique individuals. 900 of those we've never seen before. So those are new guests to the Wheeler Mission. And uh, I, I predict over 5,000 unique individuals will be at our front door needing services, whether it be in our Hebron Addictions Program. And that's where, where my life changed is Wheeler provides a nine month residential addictions program free of charge to men who are bound in the addictions of drugs and alcohol. And uh, it changed my life forever. And people like you who give out of the kindness of their hearts um, make that possible, quite frankly. And it was important that when I left that I had a church, a body of believers, to transplant from that Christian community into another one. And people came around me, they loved me, and continued to teach me God's ways. So encourage you to do that when you get it to chance. Thank you, guys.
0: Now, one of the things is uh, as we think about Wheeler Mission and the way that they kind of branch out um, is, is I think it's wonderful, and I've been continually impressed by how much ZPC has given to, to organizations like Wheeler Mission. Um, but well, one of the things that we also know is that not only should we give to organizations like this because of the fact that we can't do everything, but it's a simple fact that it's also not enough. And one of the things that we have to continually ask ourselves is how not only are we giving to people and organizations that are being sent out and are getting out of their comfort zone and their risk, but how are we doing that ourselves, right? Think about this particular story. If God had come down to Abram and said, Abram, you see Jonathan over there? Jonathan needs to leave his family and his country and his father's household and go. And I want you to give him 50 sheep. Now, Abram would have said, "Oh, okay, I suppose. And he would have given him those 50 sheep. And that would have been great. And that probably would have changed Abram's son but not nearly as much as if Abram had decided to get out of his comfort zone and to take a risk himself. Right? And so one of the questions then that we at ZPC as a leadership continually ask ourselves is how can we make sure not only that we are giving away of our finances as we should, but how do we make sure that we as ZPC are also going, being sent, putting ourselves in positions which are uncomfortable and which might not come naturally for us. And so a couple months ago, or a few months ago now actually, uh, Mission Commission came to us as a session and they said, you know what, we have an opportunity that we would like to share with you. And we listened to that opportunity and Dave Gall, if you'll come up, Dave Gall is a member of Mission Commission and, and they've come up with an opportunity that session... Uh, is is completely behind. And so I want uh, Dave, though, to come and kind of share what this opportunity is. Dave? Thank you.
2: Good morning. Um, Over the years, ZPC has been blessed to be a congregation that is outwardly and missionally focused. We've also been blessed with some of the material things that we have, like this beautiful church facility, Uh, We own three homes near the church, and it includes about 25 acres of land. And We continually look for opportunities, how we can turn our blessings into blessings for other people, such as a great banquet that's housed here and the Zionsville Food Bank that's also located here. Recently, we came up with a great opportunity to partner with Wheeler Mission and to be part of the Hebron program that Eric just talked about. We all know that there are people in our community and maybe even here in this church that struggle with these same kinds of addictions. Today it's my privilege to announce to you a new ministry here at ZPC, and we're calling this ministry the Jeremiah House, which is a novel and exciting concept developed in cooperation with Wheeler Missions. As Eric just described, the program at Wheeler, the Jeremiah House, will be the a ministry that will be the final step uh, in the Hebron Project, and this will be able to, we will be able to house four men who have graduated from the Hebron Project and have been recommended to us by Wheeler. And these men will be able to reside in the uh, Jeremiah House for up to a year while they re-enter the workforce and at the same time, are mentored by men from this church. Uh, the Jeremiah House, which many of you may have or know it as the Lodge, is a house immediately next to the cabin. It's a three-bedroom ranch home. But from today on, it's called the Jeremiah House. But before we have participants uh, residing in a the house, there are several activities that will need to uh, occur and we need your help with. First, and this is perhaps the most important, we will need to enlist mature Christian men who would agree to be mentors for these men for up to a year. The mentors will be critical to the success of these participants. These mentors would be trained by Wheeler personnel, and the expectations are that a mentor would be assigned to a specific participant who would meet together at least once a week. The mentors would actively come alongside the participant and assist them in being part of a Bible study, one-to-one discipleship, great banquet, and generally help them become integrated into the church, just like Eric experienced when he graduated from the uh, heaven program. The, The mentors would also be asked to help teach these participants some life skills, such as developing a budget that they can learn how to manage their money, too. Um, so what will happen is that Wheeler Mission will recommend to us men who have graduated from the Hebron program. The potential candidates or participants that Wheeler has submitted to us will need to agree to random drug testing, and they need to understand that there will be a zero tolerance policy about that. Uh, Another condition for living in the Jeremiah House is that each participant must have a job and a means of transportation to get them to their job. Each participant needs to agree to do at least eight hours per month of volunteer work here at the church, and they need to agree to maintain the appearance and the condition of the Jeremiah House. And we hope to begin this program within the next several months. I'm really excited about how the Jeremiah House and all of us can be a powerful tool to be used by God to come alongside these men and change the lives of these men. ZPC's Jeremiah House, and this is important, is a new concept that hopefully could be a model for other churches in our community to assist Wheeler in their work to help those who have had their life issues but have the desire to move back to be productive citizens. If you'd like more information about this, we have a table out in the gathering space, and there'll be some of us there after the worship service that you can come and ask whatever questions you might have. Thank you.
0: This is an opportunity, it seems to me, for us at ZPC, and one of the things, we certainly have been blessed, it seems to me, in terms of building and property, but, but even a b- bigger blessing than that is just who we have here. And we have wonderful women, and so I always want to point out that before I say what else I'm going to say. We have great women here who do wonderful things, but for this particular program, clearly what we need, uh, especially are men, um, and understandably so, but men who who understand the world and who are followers of Christ. And so I am so excited to have opportunities for some of our men, for some of you, to be able to step up to the plate and say, you know what? I have been blessed beyond measure, and I am here to be able to help some of these other men who are here but I'm also here to tell you that I realize in some ways that sometimes we forget the fact that blessed to be a blessing can oftentimes be a bit risky it can make us a bit uncomfortable right I mean it's great what Wheeler House does right we're happy to give to them uh, sometimes especially if they stay downtown or, or or if they maybe if they're down in near Bloomington right isn't that where your other you know and I mean I already know crazy things are happening down in Bloomington, right? So let those stay there, right? But here is an opportunity, make no mistake about it, that is more risky. And part of the reason why I wanted us to look at verses 10 through 20 of this text as as strange as it is, is because of the fact that it speaks to some of that. Oftentimes when we talk about the story of Abram, we stop at verse 9. And at verse 9, as you kind of go through, you simply have, you know, you're going to be blessed to be a blessing. Abram leaves. He sets up an altar. He worships. Everything's great. Verse 9, we just kind of see Abram going off into the distance. And then in verse 10, famine hits. And imagine that, right? Some of you have been in this situation where you feel like, you know what, I'm following God. I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. And all of a sudden, everything dries up. And so then Abram is forced to go someplace he doesn't want to go, to Egypt. And all of a sudden we see, and this is kind of odd for us in our modern-day sensibilities, but we see you know, him saying, well, you know what, let's act, act like you're not my wife. Let's act like you're my sister and all of these things. What is Abram doing? He is reeling. He is doubting. He is questioning whether or not God has really called him. He is questioning whether or not God really wants him to be blessed in order to be a blessing. And so he begins to take things into his own hands. He begins to take control of things. And I say that to tell you that if today as you're sitting here and you're hearing about this, there's a part of you that says, well, you know, this is making me a little bit anxious. This is, uh, maybe I'm a little uncomfortable about this. I, I want you to know it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to be a little bit anxious because clearly throughout scripture, we see people following God, great men and women of faith who have times of doubt and questions and fear. And the reality is, of course, we have to be wise about this, right? And we're taking steps to being wise. We're doing random drug tests. We're making sure that none of these men will have been sexual offenders or violent offenders at, at no point. We've, we've talked to Sherry Pipkin and a lot about this, the director of our Noah's Ark, our daycare, our preschool, to make sure that we're on the same page about this. But make no mistake about it. It is more risky for us to house them there than it is if we didn't do that. If we just kept things as they were, that would be much easier, much safer, much more comfortable. But we believe that God has called us to more than that. One of the things that's striking as I close is is the distinction, again, between this story and the story at the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, as you may recall, they said, let's build this tower and make a name for ourselves. And when God comes down to Abram, he tells him what he's going to do. And then he says, and I am going to make your name great. Basically the same thing. Of course, the big difference is that in Tower of Babel, they said, we're going to do this ourselves. And in this story, God says, I am going to do this for you. And as I was thinking about that this week and doing some reading, something I I came upon was the sense that in order to make a name great, what they're really talking about, the real question that's being asked, is what will subsequent generations remember you for? How will you be remembered? And I think that's an important question for you to ask as an individual, but for us to ask as a community of faith as well. Because I'm here to tell you that in a generation or two or three, people will not look back at ZPC and they will not say, hey, do you remember that church? Wow, they had an amazing budget. <laughs> they will not look back more than likely and say, that place, what a beautiful building it was. But I will tell you this, that there is a good chance if we are following God and if we are not afraid that in two or three generations someone could look back and say, you know what? My father or my grandfather was struggling, and he wrestled with addiction. He wrestled with finding the path, and there was this little church in Indiana, this church in Indiana that all of a sudden said, you know what? We're going to take you in, and we're going to teach you more about the faith, and we're going to love on you, and we're going to care for you, and we're going to help you get back on track. And because of that, my father's life, my grandfather's life, my life Is completely different than it would have been otherwise. And I have a strange feeling that if that's the kind of church that we become, then people will be able to look at us at some point and use and say, you know, you know who you look like? You look a whole lot like our father Abraham. So the question for us is: who do we want to look like? Who, sisters and brothers, do we look like? Amen.